Good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Ephesians chapter 6, finish up this book tonight, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, and we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for um, this refreshing midweek time where we can spend time with uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord who love you and are looking for your return and living their lives for you. It's different than what we're um, maybe in contact with most of the week. So it's a time of refreshing for us, especially since we're in your presence. And we thank you for the worship, the singing that we were able to give to you. And we pray that it was a blessing and and an honoring to you. And um, it was from our hearts. We pray that as we hear your word now, that that would be an act of worship as well, that we'd receive everything you have for us. You, you, You so want us to have an abundant life. And you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness in the knowledge of your son, Jesus. And, and, and that's what we're here to do, to study, to know, to hear, to learn about you, and to grow closer to you. And so we just pray that this would be a, uh, a very fruitful night in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was writing the Bible, I wouldn't have put these chapter breaks where they are. Because tonight, as we move into another relationship between children and their parents, it really goes along with what we studied last week. Paul, in his letter here, is trying to explain to this new group of believers who don't know what an appropriate relationship is supposed to look like, what a godly relationship is between a man and a woman, between an employer and an employee, between kids and their parents. All these things are new. And so he lays it out for them. This is what it's supposed to look like. Here's how you walk your walk as a Christian in these relationships, God-ordained relationships. And so as he talks about children and their parents, it really goes along, like I said, with the husbands and wives that we learned about last week, which was hopefully a blessing. It is the only way to have a godly marriage. It's the only way to have a Christian marriage is the way Paul wrote of it in chapter 5. That's not a chapter that we can dismiss and remove from our lives or Time hasn't changed God's word. It's still true today. So as we get into chapter 6, please know that this is true as well. This is what a a parent's role is. I want to be best friends with my kids, you know. I want to be that in their lives, but that's not what God's called me to be. It isn't. That can be a byproduct, and that can be an also or an add-on, but it can never be at the expense of me being the parent me being the authority in their lives. The only relationship that we're talking about here between husband and wife, children and parents, employees and employers, the only one that God compares to our relationship with him is the marriage one. That's the only time where he says, just like Jesus says, I am in you and you are in me. And we know that from marriage that the two shall become one flesh. That's the only time he makes that comparison. It's the only relationship that's supposed to be that intimate. When it comes to parents, when it comes to kids, when it comes to um, when it comes to friendship, when it comes to uh, employers and employees, that intimacy isn't there necessarily. Not like that. Not that close. It's only in marriage that we have that. So when Paul tries to explain what children are supposed to do, he is literally writing to the kids. He expects the kids to hear this. And I think as parents are reading what the kids are supposed to hear, that helps us to understand what's expected of us or what's expected of them. These are things that are appropriate. This is what God wants. He says in verse 1, Children, obey your parents 
in the Lord, for this is right. And then he names the commandment. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And here's what the promise is, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, now he moves on to parenting, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I think that's been misunderstood oftentimes. I don't think we're supposed to provoke our kids to wrath, like poking them to see if they'll get mad at us. But I also believe he's saying, don't raise them up for God's wrath. All the things that God is coming upon the earth to bring his wrath, which is coming in the second appearing of Christ, make sure we're not training up our kids to be recipients of that wrath or as believers, something that they have to repent of in front of their Lord. Don't put things in front of them that they're going to have to ask for forgiveness for later on. We're called to that as parents. I think the other's true also. I don't think I'm supposed to frustrate my kids to anger. I think that's very true and probably have been guilty of that sometimes in my parenting. But I think the, also, uh, the, the, the second definition that I gave I think is very true. And I see more and more of that. I think we all do. I think we can see kids being raised for wrath a lot of times. And it's frustrating for us. It's scary to me to watch this take place. In the name of parental friendship, just the accepting of whatever the child wants to do, just so that that fellowship isn't broken at all costs. We're giving in to what the kids, they're following the dictates of their own heart. And they're ending up, learning wrathful traits because we won't parent, because we won't sacrifice that friendship for the sake of parenting. And that's a dangerous place to be, and our whole country's doing it now, including Christians. You can see it. Not all, of course, but many, many, many. It's happening. Um, So with that, I, I mentioned briefly about husbands and wives, the intimacy that you have with your husband or wife, and I don't mean to go back and reteach chapter 5, I don't want to do that, but I, I also, the reason I'm going back is so that we don't ever try to gain from our children what we don't have in our marriage, or gain in any other relationship, friendships, whatever, that we're not getting in our marriage. I think that's a danger. The most intimate relationship you have in your life, if you're married, if you're not, I understand. But this still applies to you because you may get married or you may be trying to supplement what you're not getting in the absence of a marriage in your life from your kids or from friendship or whatever. It's a very dangerous thing, I think. To try to grab intimacy from anybody else other than your spouse in that way. The two shall become one flesh. I believe that if you have somebody in your life that's more intimate with you emotionally or whatever, it can be a friend, it can be a child, other than your spouse, I think you need to work on your marriage. I think you need to take time to back away from that relationship and focus on the one that's lacking. Because what will happen is, and what I see happening in marriages, is both become content, husband and wife become content, not giving each other what God intended them to give to each other because the other is getting it from somebody else. The burden's off me now. It's a very dangerous place. You're just biding your time. It's a very 
precarious situation you put your marriage in. It may be going okay, it may be functioning, you may be in survival mode, but that doesn't last and won't last. So with kids, don't let them be your support. They're not to be your support. You're their parent. You're their rock. You're their anchor. They're not your support. And when we learn that and begin to do that as Christians and set that example, we're going to raise up very strong, healthy children that will see that and understand and have strong, healthy marriages. And those strong, healthy marriages will raise strong, healthy kids and it'll become generational. Very important to understand when God shares this through Paul, by the Holy Spirit, these Ephesians need to understand this. This is be brand new information for them. This is not status quo parenting or status quo relationships. That's not there. That's not what they were taught. That's not what the world teaches. This is counterculture. And for them to hear this for the first time, oftentimes, and through chapter 6, we have many things in chapter 6 that we've made posters out of and put them up in classrooms and all that. But we really need to get this into our hearts, not just into our minds or understand the idea behind it or the philosophy behind it, but actually applying it. Children, if you're in this room, you need to obey your parents. And that's obedience with a smile. That's obedience with joy. Not just a frustrated, yeah, whatever. It's obedience because God's called you to that. And if you're calling yourself a Christian as a child, as a, as a young adult even, and you're still under the authority of your parents, you're called to serve your parents and to love your parents and to obey your parents as you would the Lord. Very important. Well, my parents aren't like Jesus. Maybe they're not. But your God has called you to that. The one you've submitted your life to. The one that you've received forgiveness from. He's called you to that. And so therefore, out of sheer obedience to him, be obedient to your parents then with joy. That'll affect your parents. That'll change their hearts. That'll move them in some direction, at least closer. At least, at least they'll be without an excuse when they stand before God, that they did have a godly example in their life, and that was their kids. This rebellion that has become almost cliche or expected or just that's just a phase that you have to go through with teens, it's absolutely not okay. None of it is. It's never been authorized in Scripture for children to go through a phase where they just absolutely reject and utterly disregard their parents' authority. Never. That's sin. It's flat-out sin, and it's raising up your kids for wrath. That's why wrath comes. In fact, in the Old Testament, when a, when a young adult would do that or a teenager would do that, they were brought outside of the city and stoned to death by the whole congregation of Israel. It's that serious of an offense. It's not just a, oh, well, they're teenagers. <laughs> That's not how God sees it. And so as a teenager, if you're in the room or if you're listening online, please understand that. It's a very serious matter to obey your parents. God is keeping his eye on you. It's one of the most important things he points out for children in the scripture. Before you become your own person, before you become uh, autonomous, your own relationship with God without parents supervising, you're called to obey your parents. 
It's right before the Lord. Honor them. Bring them honor. They may not earn the honor. They may not deserve the honor. They may not be honorable. But God says, when you obey your parents, you bring them honor, which brings God honor. You're called to that. And when you do that, you're training yourself as a young person. You're training yourself for a life of service. I think that's one of the hardest things any of us can learn. Even the disciples, as the 12, were following the master teacher who did nothing but show by example what you're supposed to do and what it looks like. They still argued 15 feet behind him who was the greatest. And so if they can miss the boat on what it means to be a servant, I, I, I would imagine we will too at times. But it is the lesson to be learned because every one of these is meant for service. Your husband and your wife meant to serve one another. Primarily, it's what you do. Parents serve their kids, kids serve their parents, and we're going to move into bond servants and, and masters, which is our version of employers, employees. That would be a, probably a more modern-day American translation of this Middle Eastern situation. Serve, serve, serve. When kids begin to serve their parents and have that built into them to serve others, to consider themselves less, to consider themselves to be humble, and they move into a marriage with that mindset, light years ahead of most of us, right? As an adult, as a, as a person who had to learn that, because I was not an obedient teen. I was not an obedient young adult. I was not an obedient child. I had to learn what that looked like, how to serve my wife, what to expect from my wife in service. We had to learn. If I can train up my kids and raise my children to do that now, I'm not doing them any favors by just being their buddy, by accepting their rebellion. I'm not doing them any favors at all. They will go into a marriage that way. They will treat their husband or their wife like they treated you as a parent, and they'll have to learn the hard way, unfortunately. So it's one of those sections of Scripture that we go over pretty quick. Don't forget, you kids, obey your parents, and we move on. It really needs to be taught. And I hope I've done that tonight. I hope we've taken enough time to settle that in, and if not, chew on that. If that's something that God's settled on your heart tonight or made kind of brighter than the rest of Scripture, focus on that. Pray through that. He'll talk about prayer here in a minute. But pray. What are some areas in my life as a parent that need to change towards my children? And children, what are some areas in my life that need to change towards my parents? What am I not doing that would be pleasing to you, God, that, I'm, that isn't pleasing right now? I want to change. Ask God that. So he moves on to bond servants. These would be employees. These aren't slaves, although there are sections of Scripture that call slaves to be slaves still. Stay in the position that you were called in because you may be useful. See, Paul understood that when he was imprisoned wrongfully, it wasn't wrongfully. It was intended for him to minister in a different sphere. And God brought him into the innermost parts of the jail, not because he needed to find, uh, you know, uh, how to be let off of the charges, how to get out from it. He says, no, these people must need. How else are these prisoners in the darkest parts of this world supposed to get saved if 
if I wasn't accused. And so he accepted that and was able to minister in that. Likewise, servants and slaves in other parts of Scripture say, you know what? You may be there for a reason. Remember, you're set free. Consider yourself an insurgent, someone who's been inserted into an area that needs to be taken over. Take the high ground. Serve with all of your heart. Serve like they've never been served before. Be the slaviest slave you can slave be, you know. And blow your masters away. And wonder, why do you do this? Because I know Jesus. So this isn't even that. Bond servants are employees. Be obedient to those who are your masters or your employers, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. In other words, when I go to my job, when I go to my place of work, I'm serving Jesus. He may as well be in the corner office. And that's who I answer to. There may be some middlemen, the CEO, the CFO, whatever it may be, but I am serving Jesus Christ ultimately in this. At least that's what Paul wants them to do. He wants them to consider it that way, to to see their employment that way. Don't do it with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Where does your reward come from? It comes from God. Your employer may not see it. They may not respect you. They may not uh, appreciate all that you offer, but God sees it. God knows it. God is your reward. He'll do that. That doesn't mean you can't change positions. That's not what he's saying. You're free to do that, of course. But wherever and whilever you're there, serving whomever you're serving, serve like you're serving Jesus Christ. Believe me, when you go from that company because you think the grass is greener over here, it may not be, you're still serving Jesus over here as well. There are always those folks that are only working when the boss is looking. There's always going to be those people, and they're frustrating. And you carry the weight of the company on your shoulders, I'm sure, and you felt that and experienced that. You work regardless because you answer to a higher calling. You answer to Jesus Christ himself. And that'll be difficult at times. And you'll work through those moments. But this is what Paul would say is your reasonable service to God. It's reasonable. It isn't extraordinary. You're not exceptional. It's just reasonable, normal Christianity is what it is. And we move farther and farther from that, it seems. Or as I get older, maybe I'm noticing it more and more. God calls us to serve our employers with all of our hearts. If you're there, you're there. Go for it. Serve. Work hard. Verse 9. You masters, you employers, do the same thing to them. (laughs) Just like in marriage, the wife is still to be submitted to her husband regardless of whether the husband is worthy of it or not. And the husband is to treat his wife like she's the church, whether she's worthy of it or not. 
That doesn't make any difference. Same with employers and employees. You serve, whether they're like Jesus or not, and as masters, you treat them like Christ treats the world. Serve them. Do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. You need to threaten your employees and scream and yell and all that. You, you know, there's other, in our country, thankfully, there's other ways of recourse. <laughs> you can let them go. Nothing wrong with that. But he calls us as, imagine that at, at the, the Ephesians reading this, you know. That was one of the things he, he discusses at another section, but the whole area, the whole Ephesian area, you know, the people, they get saved, right? Employers, employees, slave owners, slaves, it just, I mean, it's, it runs the gamut. It's, it's a whole spectrum of people. And, and they all know their roles, and I've always known their roles outside, right? And they all come into church, and they all sit down next to each other, and there's my boss, and there's that employee. And so Paul writes this letter that's being read to everybody at the same time in front of the church. And here's the, here's the hard part for them. The employees are taking notes on what the masters are supposed to do on Monday morning. And the masters are taking notes on all what the employees are supposed to be doing on Monday morning. The husbands are taking notes on what the wives are supposed to be doing as soon as we get out of church, and vice versa. And the parents are nudging their kids, and the kids are nudging their parents. That's a real danger for us as we don't hear for ourselves. We hear for everybody else because we want them to treat us like Jesus instead of being like Jesus to the world. That's a hard thing. Paul writes the hard stuff. Of course, he writes the letter and sends it off and says, now you read it to everybody. But he would have taught it in person and held them accountable. As business owners and employers, we are to treat our employees like Christians, like, like Christ would treat the world. That's the bottom line. It's a very simple thing. I think our best example of that is Boaz. You know, I love that story, Ruth and Boaz, you know. Boaz walks into the field. Who knows how, whether the, all the employees meant it, but he walks into the field and this, you know, the blessed be the Lord. And they all respond, yeah, blessed be the Lord. And who knows how many of them actually, hopefully they all did. But that's how he treated his guys. That's how he treated his gals that work for him. I think that's important to see. What a great example. And God blessed him abundantly, you know. Ministry is an interesting thing. When you take people in to help with ministry, it is a process, and it takes a long time. It's not a parent, you know, relationship, but it is. There's a lot of training that goes into it. You take this raw material, and you try to train them up in the way that they should go to be a servant of God, and it takes time. And I think about Boaz investing time into all these guys, maybe... uh, didn't like that I'm, I'm getting paid less than Bob, who's, who's been here longer, and having to explain that and being patient. And there's a lot of patience in that mentoring, in that parent-child relationship, boss-employee relationship. There's a lot that goes on there. Being a non-traditional student, I saw that with the kids that would come into these classes. I'd only had four years on them, you know. 
but you still felt like you had gray hair and a beard. I felt like this around all these 18-year-olds, you know, coming to college. And they were all looking at me like, is he like the assistant professor? No, I'm not that old, okay? I'm only 23. And yet you could see the arrogance and the pride and the argumentative spirit that they would have with these professors. And I'd watch these professors saying, I, you know, coming from a military background, I'm waiting for them to make them do push-ups or, you know, make them run laps or something like a coach. And they just patiently said, mm-hmm, yeah, I can see your point there. But what about this? I'm like, I just told them, be quiet, shut up, sit down, you know. It's so patient because their job is to bring them from that to a place of humility and understanding, you know. And I think about this every time I read about Boaz or these masters and these employers, you know, just taking the time to, yeah, I can see why you'd be upset. But hopefully you'll see it in the long run that this is the best and this is why we do things the way we do things, you know. Anyway, masters, it's very simple. Treat them like you would, like Christ would treat them. And employees, be sure that you're working for God when you're working for them with goodwill, with joy. Not with eye service, but truly wanting to serve and to be the best employee, no matter what you're doing. Verse 10. Finally, Paul's wrapping it up. My brethren, my brothers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now we all know, and I'll start going through our heads, I don't know what the armor of God is. There's belts and there's breastplates and there's helmets and there's... There's some kind of shoes. We don't know what that means, shod, but, you know, whatever. There's a sword. I think the most important thing we miss, though, when we go through these things is we try to think of the imagery of it, which is very important for Paul to share, and I'm glad that he does, but we really need to focus on simply the characteristics. That's all that matters. I don't care if you remember whether it's a belt or a breastplate or a helmet or whatever. It's the characteristics that we have to remember and and apply. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So Paul makes his final, this is really, I believe, where chapter 6 should start. He moves from relationships to, and, and how we're supposed to walk with God to standing firm in the faith. I want you to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That might have been the first time they've ever heard that before. I was saved from the devil. I'm not going to hell anymore. What are you talking about? No, you've made an enemy now. You're going to now go into battle. You were walking with him. You were his compadre. You were cohorts. You were, you were, you know, tag teaming the world together with Satan. And now you're not. And so Satan's going to come against you. And Paul says, I want you to be prepared for that. I use the military stuff way too often, so I'm switching to sports, because Paul does. And although he talks about armor, many of these things could be applied to just simply a football game. We've just watched the Super Bowl, most of us, or have watched a football game in the past. At least you understand what that is. So when they talk about helmets, they talk about pads, the purpose of all that armor that you put on to go into a football game is is designed to give you more bravery. Simply that. Do you remember the old pictures when they just had the leather helmets and no face masks or anything? And these guys' noses were just like this? It took some guts to run into somebody and smash skulls. I mean, you get a little nervous about that. Going into the game against, you know, there's Goliath. The tackle or the, I don't even know the positions. I don't know football that well. 
I was the center, if you can believe that. I was too slow to do anything else. I just hit their ankles and knocked them down. That was my job. I could hike the ball and I could do a long snap. They love that, you know. I could spiral the ball back to the punter. Oh, that was great. So that's where they put me. Without that equipment on, though, it's hard to run full speed at somebody else and hit them because you know you're going to receive something. The idea behind this is meant that you can go into battle with some sense of confidence, knowing that you've been equipped by God to put up and to win these things. You're going to put on a helmet. You're going to put on a breastplate. You're going to have a shield. You're going to have a belt that's going to hold your pants up. They're not going to fall down in the middle of the thing. There's things that you, and you've got great shoes. Look how fast I can run in my gospel shoes, you know. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I can run fast. Same with football. I've got my cleats on. I've got my pads on. I've got my shoulder pads, my helmet, my mouthpiece, and all that tape that they put on now. I don't know know what that is. Well, that's the idea so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil, not run from him. I can run headlong into him and not worry about my skull. He's going to hit my helmet. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Those are things we can't see. Those are authority figures beyond our realm. Against powers. Superpowers. These powers are out there, you know. We're just puny little people. How can we go against this stuff? Against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul tries to get them to stop looking at each other, human beings, and say, no, you're in a much bigger battle than you even know. You're against supernatural things going on around you that are invisible to the human eye, but are very present. And now that you've switched spiritually, you become a new creation spiritually in Christ, you are now on that side of the, of the war. You have switched teams. You didn't even realize you were on the bad side of the war. You didn't even realize you were working for the enemy. Most people don't that are unbelievers. They don't understand that. I mean, they know that their sin has caused some damage in their life and to other people's lives, but that doesn't register with them as, I've been waging war against all these people with my sin. And when you become a new creation in Christ and you step onto the other side, Paul just says, be aware, you now are going to be the receiving, you're the receiving end of him. And here's what you're up against. So make sure that you put on this whole armor of God. Therefore, because you're fighting against these things that you can't see, I'm going to give you characteristics, he says, they are going to help you wage war against those things you can't see. How do you fight that? In one portion of the Old Testament, God sends hornets. What a, what a genius way to fight against an army that's way overpowering, you know. We've got the big tanks, chariots, you know. We've got the horses that are all armored and they can run through, you know. We've got horsemen with spear, you know, runners with spears and we've got bowmen and all this. Yeah, what are you going to do against Hornets. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You're just waving and back and losing. When we fight this spiritual battle, God says, these are the things that are like the hornets. These are the things that, that get in between all those things you can't do as a human being. Only these, kings, only these characteristics can. 
I want you to be able to stand or withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul says there's some personal responsibility on our parts to do all we can to stand. And part of that is these attributes. So take note. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's fine. I've seen many Bible studies saying, now you need to visualize this every morning and purposely put on the belt of truth. And and I get that. I would just feel silly doing it. So I don't do that. But I do know what he's saying here. You need to be a truthful person. It's not complicated. Don't lie. Just don't lie anymore. Stop lying. I can't say it enough. Be truthful. Tell the truth. Be truth. Share the truth. Truth, truth, truth. It's not about a belt. It's about protecting yourself. Lies leave you vulnerable for attack. They cause your mind to be distracted from what you're supposed to do because you feel that. Nobody knows it, but I know it. And there's guilt and there's shame. And I don't feel like I'm qualified to do anymore because I haven't dealt with this lying in my life. So Paul says, the thing that's going to hold your pants up and keep you from being embarrassed is telling the truth and being truthful. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. That simply means live a righteous life. Do the right thing. Be obedient to man's laws. Be obedient to God's laws. Live a righteous life. That emboldens you. That makes you feel brave inside. Telling the truth, living a righteous life, you're light years ahead of almost everybody in the world when you do those two things, if it was only those two things. Making a decision every day. I'm not going to sin against my wife. I'm not going to sin against my husband. I'm not going to sin against my kids. I'm not going to sin against my parents. I'm not going to sin against me. I'm going to live a righteous life. I'm not going to sin against the laws of man. I'm going to walk as a good citizen of this world and a good citizen of heaven. I'm going to live a righteous life. Your feet shod or shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What do they call those things in band that they put over the tops of their shoes? Spats. That's kind of how I pictured these spats. I've never worn spats in my life, but I get it. Yeah. I want that on my feet. I don't know why he puts them on their feet. We can talk about that because that's what takes you places and that's what you do. Wherever you go, you bring the peace. Live a peaceful life. In a world full of people filming themselves, there's a Karen, there's a Karen. No offense. Got to find another name, don't we? What's the guy's version of Karen? I forgot, what's the guy's name? What? Brandon, fine, we'll call it Brandon, yeah. Yeah, JD, don't be a JD, there's a JD, look at him over there. I'll just use myself, that's easier, you know. In a world full of making a stink, being that person in line, anybody with Citizens Bank and Trust or were with Citizens Bank and Trust, okay now. I'm not going to look in the eye because I did good. I was having problems like everybody else. But I also understand this is one bank group that's taken over an entire another bank. What did you think was going to happen on day one? Hair pulling. I walked into the bank because I couldn't 
access my account. It's, they sent me the email. They said, here's your new username. Didn't say change your password, though. So I used my username. I used my new password, and I did it three times. You know what happens after three times? You're out. Okay. So I walk in, and I look at the tellers, and they're like this. <laughs> Five of them, three over there, all desks filled, never like that before. The bank gals out doing things on the computer over the shoulder of some other gal, and I see this line of people, and they look at me, and they say, online banking or need a new debit card? <laughs> I said, probably both, but online banking is what I meant. Well, this is the line... 10 deep for the card. And that's the seat that you take from a sit down. It's okay. Those poor people. Those poor people. I know change is hard. All those moving parts. And all I, honestly, Maryville did pretty good. I didn't see a whole lot of hotheads there, but I did see some people that were just, you know, the more I glare at the teller, maybe she'll give me, you know, no, that's, the, that's not helping anybody. But bring peace into those situations. I can, bring, I can be another mad person who demand, you know, oh my goodness. Or I can bring peace. And I did. God prepared me and I walked in and they called my name. How can I help you? I said, I'm going to be easy. If I need to come back, I can come back. I understand today of all days, I'm sure you're having a day. And just try to encourage her, you know. You'll get through it. None of us like change, you know. It's hard for everybody. There are a lot of moving parts. Just letting her know that I understood all this stuff. It's going to be this way, and I hope you guys have a better day tomorrow because today's going to be horrible, isn't it? It's horrible. Sorry. I know, I know. And so she turns the screen around. They never do that. Okay, here's what we do. She's doing her thing. I've got these five challenge questions. I said, well, what I do for the five challenge questions is I give the same answer to all five questions because the algorithm doesn't know any better. She goes, thank you. (laughs) I said, so put car down for all five challenge questions, which I probably shouldn't have put online. That's okay. (laughs) If you need my money, that... So anytime you go in there, it says car, 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 car. What's your favorite book? Car. What's your favorite, you know, where'd you, where'd you grow up? Car. It doesn't make any difference. <laughs> Keep it easy. Make it easy for you. She's like, thank you. Now. And we just went through it. She says, okay, I think we've done everything. I said, well, thank you. I appreciate it. Just thank you. You know, how hard was that to bring some peace? It took me 10 minutes longer, probably. I don't know that I would have gotten through any faster if I had to stomp my feet. What difference does it make? Those, you know, they're just doing what they can do. This is way bigger than the people behind. Bring peace. Now, it is talking about the gospel. We do want to share Jesus and be ready for that wherever we go. Being prepared in our hearts to just share what we know about the truth of God's word, to share his, his gospel with everybody around us, to be prepared for that in my heart, prayed up, ready to go. I think that's important. But above all, he calls it a gospel of peace. I better be able to bring the gospel peacefully. If I'd have gone in there and stomped my foot, made my request known, how am I ever going to share the gospel with anybody in that room? When will they ever darken? Okay, sir, if I'd have been there mad, what's your account number? Calvary Chapel, Maryville. Oh, you're a church. (laughs) 
sharing the gospel of peace every Sunday, but I can't get my money out, you know. Well, I'll be sure to visit your church, you know. Come on. Bringing peace. Above all, he says, take the shield of faith. Now, you can call it a shield. You can use it. You can picture it, I guess, if you want. Simply living a faithful life and, 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 and sharing your faith. I mean, that's it. I have faith that God's going to work all. Th- when I switched teams, I gave God my life. It doesn't mean things are going to stop happening to me. It just means all the things happening to me are now in the hands of the one who said, I'm never going to give you more than you can bear, and I'm going to work all things together for good for those who love me and are called according to my... I'm going to do that for you. So now, by faith, I can go through everything I was going to go through anyway over there. But I can know that I'm... The tools, they're now tools in God's hands to make me and mold me. I can walk through these things with faith. So much more bold now. I don't have to be afraid of what's happening tomorrow or afraid of this or that. I just walk in and say, oh, this is happening today. Well, God, how are you going to work this out? By faith, I walk. It's a shield for me. When I have that faith, it quenches all the fiery darts the wicked one brings because the things that happen to me are meant to destroy me. It's meant to cause me to slip, to stumble, to hurt other people. And when I have faith saying, whatever this is, it's of God, I can give thanks for all things and in all things because this is God's will for me in Christ Jesus. I don't have to worry about that. I have faith now. And all these darts that were meant to destroy me and throw me off my game, they just get quenched. They fall to the ground, ineffective in the enemy's hands. Faith. Simple. And take the helmet of salvation. Know that I am saved. Know that you're saved. Know that I have been saved from a... And it's a great salvation. I mean, it's a good helmet. It's, I kind of wonder about those Roman helmets that are just like sheet metal on your head. Did they pad those things or something? Because that doesn't sound like much protection. But the helmet of salvation that we've been given is like the new NFL ones that look, make them look like, you know, Speed Racer or whatever, you know. The, you don't know what a Speed Racer is. You know, big chunky helmets. You can really clunk someone with those things. That's a salvation I have. I am saved. And that protects my mind. It protects... Well, it keeps me from being so paralyzed with fear that I can't run into the battle. I can go in boldly. I'm saved. I'm living a righteous life. I'm walking in truth. I'm sharing the truth. I'm being truthful. I have the gospel of peace. I'm going in peacefully. Makes no difference what they bring in me. I've got a, a faith that's going to put away all the enemy's weapons against me. Makes no difference. Whatever. I've got faith. And then finally he says, I've got, the, and it's not finally, but that's how the posters go. And the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Of course, you have to remember it's the spirit's sword. The word of God is useful in the spirit's hand. If I'm walking in the Holy Spirit, then the word of God coming out of my mouth by the spirit of God will be very effective. It will be able to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit. It'll be a discerner of hearts and soul. It'll do those things. The word of God in my hands, though, imagine yourself picking up the sword by the wrong end and trying to club people with it. That's about the same effect then when I have it in my hand. In my fleshy hands, in my hand, that's what happens with the word of God. I end up cutting myself to ribbons. But in the Holy Spirit's hands, it's the word of God, and it's meant to be the offensive weapon. Use it. 
When Jesus was tempted in the desert, his response was the sword of the Spirit. He only used God's word to combat the devil. That is our only offensive weapon that God has given us. So know the word of God. Memorize the word of God. Have that do sword drills. That's what we used to call that when we'd sit the kids down. And we probably still do in the children's ministry. I don't know. But we do sword drills. And they say, uh, Revelation 2.12. Whoever can find it fast enough. Or you just say the scripture, uh, for God so loved the world. Oh, where was that? I think it was John 3.16. And you took sword drills. You practice. You practice, you practice, you practice. When it says train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. Some people think that, think that I brought them to church. Did they ever hold the sword in their hand? Did they ever feel the weight of God's word in their hand? Were they ever swinging God's word? Were they ever using God's word? What difference does it make and say, I bought my kid a gun. I don't know why they shot themselves in the foot. Did you train them to use the weapon? Did you train them how to load it, how to aim, how to fire, how to take the time to breathe, to be calm? To know who they recognize and identify the enemy. And, and th- did you train up a child in the way that they should go? The word of God is very important, but it must be used properly or it can do a lot of damage if used wrongly. And I don't think Paul cuts us off there. That's the end of the armor. But then he also says in verse 18, because it's a semicolon, praying. That's part of it. Praying. That is a weapon. That's the second offensive weapon. We've got the word of God and we've got praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Prayer, 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 prayer. Those are our scud missiles. (laughs) Those are our patriot missiles. Those are the missiles of our warfare. The sword, that's close combat, but the missiles... Oh, Lord, I pray for Africa. Intercontinental ballistic missile prayer over to Africa. You know, if that's how you got a picture of it, picture it. You pray that way. You pray over your kids. Pray for your children. Kids, pray for your parents. They're going through things that they keep from you. They don't want you to, you don't need the weight of the parents upon you. you. And so the kids are like, I don't know why dad's so grumpy. He's got a good reason more than likely. I don't know why mom's acting like that way right after she got off the phone. She won't tell me. It's because she doesn't want to put that weight on you, but it's coming out sideways. You're feeling that heat. It's meant for somebody else probably. Pray for them. Oh, boy, that must have been a bad conversation. Dear God, you know, help my mom. Help my dad. Help my kids. Lord, watch over my kids. Help them. Pray for your boss. Pray for your employees. Pray for your spouse. You don't have to be in the same room. You can pray with their spouse, holding hands. But if they're uncomfortable with that, pray for them anyway. We've got some pretty good stories about that in our church. People praying for their spouses and the fruit that comes from it. Pray, pray, pray. Always. I mean, Paul couldn't say it more emphatically. Pray with all prayer, always supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. I mean, he says it over and over again. Pray, pray, pray. Because he does. And for me, if you're going to pray, that utterance may be given to me, that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change, that in it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's prayer 
That's the boldest guy I know. He didn't care who he was around and he would share. Remember when they said, Paul, you were mad in the, you know, when he went into uh, Nero's area, you know, in, in, front of, in front of, what would they call him? Um, the emperor. You're mad to speak that way. He goes, oh. Boldness. I, I pray for that, that I'd have boldness, continue to have boldness, because it's so much easier to not. It's so much easier to not be bold. It's so much easier to just have it your way, to not say what needs to be said. Paul could have saved a lot of beatings, saved himself a lot of beatings if he had just shut up. And so because he knows that beatings come his way when he opens his mouth boldly and knowing that his flesh doesn't want to get beat, and so he battles with that, he says, if you're going to pray for me, pray for me that I don't listen to my flesh and that I open my mouth boldly as I ought to because that's why I'm an ambassador. I'm in chains for Christ right now. It's very easy for me to want to not be in chains anymore and to walk out of this place and live a life like everybody else is living. It seems, anyway. Pray that I might be bold while I'm here in prison. He concludes with this, but that you also may know uh, my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. They really mean it, he says. That's who I'm praying for. So Tychicus is the guy who probably delivered the letter, we believe. So, and that's why he's there. Good faithful brother to, uh, to be his feet when he can't, to run when he can't, to be out of prison when he can't be out of prison, you know. Very, uh, very blessed, much a, a blessing to Paul in these times right there. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul's faithfulness to say the good stuff, to say the hard stuff. You want to you train us up. You want us saved. You want us to become new creations in Christ. But then you spend the rest of Scripture teaching us what that looks like. It's, it's, a, it's so important, Lord. Help us to take these things to heart. Lord, if we're married and we need to work on our marriage, God, I pray that we do that starting now. Lord, if we need to be better parents or different parents, God, I pray that you'd show us how. If we're kids that need to be more respectful and more honoring to our parents, I pray that you'd show us how and that we would do that starting today. Lord, as employees and employers, I pray that you'd help us to be, to walk, as Christians should walk in the business world, in the world where commerce is done, where we make our money, where we spend our money. Help us to be Christians in all these interactions, God, in all these relationships. Lord, help us to stand for you, to put on this armor that you spoke of, the truth, peacefulness, righteousness, to know the salvation that we have in you, to have that ability to use your word, properly, by your Holy Spirit in our lives, to pray, 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 God. We thank you for all that you've given us in this book, in your word tonight. We receive it with gladness.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.